So as we get into this this morning, um, what's really cool about this is that um, we've just kind of been navigating just, so, like I said, some different aspects of Sabbath, some different theological realities about it. And to do that, we've gone through some different texts, some different scriptures. We went all the way back to the book of Genesis. We saw some of the foundational understandings of um, how do we come up with this idea of Sabbath? Where does this come from? We learned to not get too into detail on that is that, you know, God is the one who provides us Sabbath. God is the giver of Sabbath. You can't work, and this is great, you can't work harder to find that rest some of us do that, right? We're like, well, if I just work harder, well, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll make that space in my life. What ends up happening in our culture is then people just expect, well, that's just who they are. Oh, that's the person that loves to do that. They, they want to do that. Or we, it becomes addictive for us. And we just, we just think if I just do more, if I'm just busier, maybe that's good. Maybe, I'll, maybe at some point that space will just get created in my life. And it's just not reality. We fill that up with all kinds of other stuff. So what we have to do is we have to take the invitation that God is giving us to say, no, this is a gift, this is a space, this is a time that is a gift from God for me to experience Sabbath rest. And so God gives that to us. And then we began to move forward into the scriptures. We went into the book of Leviticus last week. We talked a little bit about this idea of how did this become codified? How did this set into the concept of day and time? Um, how did the ancient Israelites begin to practice this idea moving forward? And what did that look like? And then we talked through some of the ideas of how did they practice it and how does that take place? Today what I want to do is I want us to have kind of a big shift. We're going to see, okay, so... I understand some of that. I get the theology. I get the background. I get where this comes in for the ancient Israelites. How, what does this have to do with us today? How does, how does the Sabbath then also, how is it impacted by the coming of Jesus? And what does the life and the teaching and the resurrection of Jesus have to do with Sabbath? So one of the questions we asked a, a, you know, a few weeks ago, we, we, the, kind of the questions we wanted to kind of answer at some point, was, so... so it, if there's Sabbath, like, why do, we, why do we worship on Sunday was one of the questions, right? Because Sabbath was Saturday, and so there was this Saturday idea. So why are we here? What are we doing here, and why, why do we then, as followers of Jesus, worship? And is there something wrong with that? Is that okay? How does that work out? And so today I hope to answer some of those pragmatic questions that go along with that, uh, but I also want us to see how it's actually really cool, how this ties into Jesus, and I think when we get to the end of it, um, and I'm excited because I know where this goes, but I'm excited where this ends up because I think it makes a huge impact and a difference. It really was for me like one of those moments where I felt like I was like trying to fit something. You know what I mean? Like you're just like trying to work something out and then it just clicks, almost like a light bulb moment. So I think this is going to be really cool. So to, to start this, this conversation, to begin to think about how this fits in with Jesus, um, we have to talk about something called numerology. Now, don't worry, I'm not talking about numerology like horoscopes. I'm not talking about numerology like we think of, like with how do I pick my lottery numbers. That's not the numerology we're talking about. What I'm talking about is ancient numerology. And it's studying ancient texts, particularly the scriptures in our case, but any ancient text there was this uh, concept that was the concept of numerology. And it was taking a number 
and that number making, having an important aspect in what it was talking about, but also making a difference and an impact in what it was talking about as something else. So it was a number that had meaning, but it also pointed to something else. And this is the study of ancient numerology. So when you get into a text, when you see uh, a, a number in a text, like 40 days, for example, we talk about the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness. 40 days was a specific number that you can look back in Scripture and you can see 40 again and 40 over again and 40 again. And it had meaning, it had purpose, it had uh, some depth to it. The same is true as we get into the numerology of the number seven. And that's what we're going to come to today. The number seven was significant. It wasn't just seven days of the week, but that number seven pointed to a much bigger reality. It's hard, it's hard for us, I think, sometimes to really get this because I don't think we really think of this today. We don't really think in numbers that way, but this was a huge, significant reality in the Old Testament. And as we're going to see, seeing how people thought about numbers, how they thought about the numbers, how that related to Jesus will have a huge impact, like I said, on how we understand Sabbath. I think this is so, so significant uh, for us. So we begin this journey looking at these numbers, again, in the book of Leviticus. And I talked about last week, the book of Leviticus was a law. It was a kind of a, a, a guidebook, um, a book of law that guided the ancient Israelites into their understanding of how they worship God, of how they were to live their lives, of how they were to be a different kind of people than the people around them. And so uh, when you go into the Old Testament, particularly trying to understand some of these things like the law of Sabbath, we have to understand what did it mean to those people in their context, in their time. And so we come back to the book of Leviticus. We're going to move uh, up a few chapters from where we were last time. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 23. And this is our passage for the week, and this is going to help us understand the practice of Sabbath. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Now let's, let's stop there for a minute because these festivals were huge. Uh, yesterday, we had our pictures taken by a friend, and we were downtown Main Street, and we were hanging out right next to this, to this uh, uh, photographer's studio was the coolest store. It was like three ladies in a trunk or something like that, and we walked in. Guys, it was all racing stuff. And it was like, I know exactly where to go for Jill for her birthday now. I mean, she was serious. She's like, you and Emily can go back here and you can get me. Because they had like a whole like lady section. So when you see ladies out at the racetrack and you're like, where did they get that incredible checkered flag dress from? There. Apparently there. And I told Emily, we walked out and I was like, Emily, you see? It is like the race never stops when you're on Main Street. It's just like a constant, it's like Christmas. I, I'm like, I might just have to move into an apartment on Main Street because I mean, it's just there all the time with you. But if you know me, that is one of my appointed festivals throughout the year. Like I, I on, on the night before the race, I can't fall asleep because the next day is race day. You know what that feeling like is, right? Our kids, you know, we're excited about Christmas. Christmas coming up in Target. They were playing Christmas music yesterday. I about lost my mind, but you know, the We've got Christmas, we've got Thanksgiving, we've got the race day, right? We have these holidays 
that are important to us and matter to us. And the same thing was true for the Israelite people. These festivals mattered. In fact, these festivals still matter. They're still celebrated. And these festivals are just huge, extravagant celebrations, pilgrimages, people going to Jerusalem. That, that's the context of what was happening here. They're setting up these festivals for the people. So God says, speak to the Israelites, say to them, these are my appointed festivals. These are the ones that matter. The appointed festivals of the Lord. He makes this point. These are my festivals. You are to proclaim them as sacred assemblies. So these are holy times to come together. Now, in the middle of this, then we get this weird verse that sort of comes out of nowhere, comes out of left field. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. And we're sort of like, where did that come from? Like, we're walking through these festivals. He's like, here are my festivals to the Lord. And then he says, oh, by the way, and he throws in this thing about the Sabbath. Well, this matters because the first thing he's doing is he's reminding them of Sabbath rest. He's reminding them of a command that they've been given over and over again, which was to honor the Sabbath. And then he begins to remind them of this pattern. He says, remember I told you you had six days to do your work. He said, and then on the seventh, I gave you this day of rest. And on the seventh day, we've discovered during this series, they were commanded to do a couple things. Remember this? Reflect on God's goodness, his provision. They were to rest. They were to worship. And this pattern was the norm. This was a command. This was set in their lives that they were to follow. So six days you worked, five, six, I think, seventh, you rest, you worship, you remember God's goodness, and you remember his provision. So it's almost as if what's happening here is he begins to say, these festivals that I'm going to tell you about are going to be tied in to this Sabbath. The pattern and the rhythm that you know in your life that happens in the week is also going to be set in to these festivals that I'm about to tell you about. So he's saying, pay attention. Remember for six days, but on seven, you rested. So he says, now what, are, what is that day? It's a sacred assembly. The day of sacred assembly is the Sabbath. And then he says, these festivals are also sacred assemblies. So here's a way to think about this. You have the Sabbath, the weekly gathering, coming together, celebrating. And then you have these appointed festivals that become sort of Sabbaths on jet fuel. This is like the big explosion of rest and worship and Sabbath. Does that make sense? Because it's all going to be tied together. So let's listen to how this happens. And there are seven festivals. Do you see what's happening here? Okay. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. The sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed time. Now, this, this, is, this is so cool. I could nerd out on this forever. These are based on a specific measure of time, a specific time that each one is supposed to happen. And what I say, each one, again, there's seven festivals, and each of them is related to seven in some kind of way, whether it's seven days, or we're going to count things by seven weeks, 
or we're going to celebrate things in the seventh month. So just like the seventh day of the Sabbath, we have all of these sevens popping back up. Seven, 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 just all over again. And here's what it says. It says, uh, the Lord's Passover, so here's the first one. This is the first of the festivals. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight. On the 14th day, which is seven times what? Two. On the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread begins. The 15th day, what's that do that? Well, for seven days, starting on that day, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Now, I love this. In a time that everybody didn't have a calendar on their wall, in a time that people didn't have their phone to pop up and remind them it was the beginning of Passover, they could just count. And they would say, okay, it's the seventh day, now it's the 14th day, it's the 15th day, and for seven days we do this, and on that seventh day we have a sacred seven. We do all this together, and they just count by their sevens to come to the next thing. Now we have a bunch, I told you there's six other festivals included in this, and that's going to give us our seven festivals. So they had uh, Passover, they had the Festival of Unleavened Bread, they had the Festival of First Fruits, Pentecost, Festival of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the festival of the tabernacles. Now, we are totally going to bookmark this because I'm absolutely going to teach a series on the festivals at some point because I could totally nerd out about that because it's super, super cool what the festivals have to do and how they connect later on how we understand Jesus. It is absolutely incredible. But what I want us to see is this built-in thing taking place. Seven days the rhythm matters. The number matters. The time matters. Keep that idea in your head. Seven different festivals. Now listen to how these work out. This is, I love this. So during the Lord's Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread, for seven days, they remember the rescue from Egypt. Then on the seventh day after that, on the Sabbath, they celebrated the Festival of Firstfruits. Then you count seven Sabbaths until the day of Pentecost. And then the remaining festivals all took place in the seventh month. So seven days, seven weeks, seventh month. And this was celebrated year after year after year after year. They are being invited into the story over and over and over again. So somebody says, I, I don't want to celebrate Passover again. Oh, no, no, no. Celebrate this Passover. Celebrate what happens here. Look at God's goodness and his grace. And then just when they're excited about what's happening there, they get seven days later, they get to this next festival. They begin to celebrate another aspect of what God has done in their lives. Then they begin to count down seven weeks. There's seven weeks taking us where we're going. Can you imagine the excitement of that? There's six weeks and five weeks and four weeks. And you get to Pentecost and there's a celebration. They move into the seventh month and they get a trifecta of celebration, of, of absolute just celebration through the three festivals. The seven festivals happening in seven days and seven weeks and seven months 
in the seventh month. So this is so cool to begin to think about. Now, this is really cool. This rhythm was a celebration of the rest that God had provided. But once in a lifetime, the number seven came together in a festival that was like no other. I, 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 like, I don't even have, I, I wish I could come up with a way to describe what even talking about this festival would have meant. I mean, once in a lifetime celebration of everything, all the goodness of God just packed into one celebration. And this took place once in a lifetime. This number seven brought this, and it was a festival called Jubilee. Now, it's hard to describe, so let me just read it to you how this tells us a couple chapters later. Okay, we're going to count off again, because what the text says. Count off seven Sabbath years. Seven times seven years. So that the seven Sabbath years amounts to a period of 49 years. He says, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere. On the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. (laughs) So they're told, hey, you guys got to celebrate. Every year you got to do this huge thing. It was this incredible celebration. Then he says, now what I want you to do is, I want you to begin to dream about a day coming up 50 years from now. Now think about this. This is a time when people did not live that long. So you are talking a once in a lifetime experience. And so people have been counting down. It's it's the, the first year and the second year and the third year. And things are counting down to this 50 year celebration. And then it says, and then blow the trumpets throughout the entire land. Can you imagine Like, he doesn't say, play this song, do this thing. There's just trumpets going off all over the place. And if you're not in the sound of a trumpet, you better be blowing a trumpet, participating in the 50-year day of Jubilee. You're not going to sit on your couch and be like, oh, looks like Jubilee just happened. This This is huge. I mean, this is everybody stopping. Everybody stopping and celebrating on this day. Then it goes on. It says, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty to all the land and all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Now, wait a minute. Now, listen where this goes. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow. Do not reap what grows or harvest the untended vines, for it is a jubilee, and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the field. So, a couple things that are going on here. First of all, they're reading this text, they're being taught this, and they're told, don't do anything for a whole year. Just live off the land. It'll provide everything you need. What? Like, just stop. Like, every 50 years, just quit. And then did you notice the other thing? It said, and then return the property back. This is a huge thing taking place. Seven times seven years brought this 49th year. A trumpet sounded and Jubilee was announced. 
And Jubilee brought chaos. It upended every economic system. It upended everything about society that they were used to. There was, listen to this, no selling. There was no debt paying. There was no property holding. (laughs) Now listen to this. One of the best ways to describe this was John Collins in the Bible Project. He says this, imagine you're an ancient Israelite. And something happened. Things have taken a turn for the worse. Maybe you made a bad investment. Maybe your family became ill. You're unable to work, and you had to sell your possessions. You may have had to sell your portion of the land that was allotted to you and become servants to another family. How would you ever get yourself out of the situation and not pass it on from generation to generation? And that was the year of Jubilee. Can you you fathom? You hit the year of Jubilee, the trumpets go off, this guy that got his land from somebody else because they got sick and they had to sell their land or they became servants, these people said, well, it's your land again. You're free to go. That's it. We're done here. Oh, that debt that you owe me? No debt. It's gone. It's just, it's gone. It's out of here. Can you begin to fathom how this would just completely wreck everything? Because all would be forgiven, all would be made right, and all could go home and start again. That is the essence of Jubilee. All would be forgiven, all would be made right, all could go home and start again. And I think this is hard for us to imagine. It is hard for us to begin to think. Could you imagine in our world today, if we announced a year of Jubilee, and the credit card company sent you a letter. Congratulations, it's the year of Jubilee. All your debts have been canceled. You got a letter from Sally Mae, or whatever they're called now. Congratulations, your student loans have been paid off. By who? It's the year of Jubilee. They're just gone. <laughs> the bank sends you a note. Hey, <laughs> we don't know your property anymore. It's yours. Or somebody shows up and says, actually, my family used to live here a long time ago before we were second. It's mine again, right? Like, I mean, you can see, like, this is, this is getting kind of crazy, right? This is amazing. But, but imagine for a second, all would be forgiven. All would be made right. All could go home and start again. Now, here's the crazy thing. As radical as this idea is, As awesome as it sounds, there is no evidence that a jubilee was ever proclaimed in ancient Israel. We have no evidence that it ever even happened. Maybe it was too much. Maybe it was too crazy. Maybe people are like, that would just upend everything. We can't do it. Maybe they couldn't agree on how to do it. Yeah, maybe the bankers were like, that doesn't make sense. It'll it'll tear the whole country apart. Maybe, Maybe they didn't have enough years of stability to even begin to live this out. So there's no evidence that this ultimate Sabbath ever took place. So here's the question then. Why are we learning about it? Why would we focus on something that was never done? And the reason is found in Luke 4. Listen to this, it's so cool. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in this passage, what Jesus said right there was, I declare jubilee. And he didn't just declare jubilee. He declared that his mission was jubilee. And he declared that he was the fulfillment of jubilee. One way of saying it is this, jubilee had never taken place because Jesus had yet come to bring it. Jubilee had never happened because Jesus wasn't there to declare that jubilee was going to take place. Do you see how cool this is? I mean, this is absolutely amazing. Something that upended at something, something that set the oppressed free, something that was supposed to make all things right, something that was supposed to bring grace and mercy and justice and equity across the board. Jesus says, that is what I am here to do. That is what I am doing right now. This is so cool. And then it goes on. It says, then he rolled up the scroll like a microphone, gave it to the attendant like that, and he sat down. So, I mean, think about Jesus. This is so cool. Like, Jesus is like, I declare a year of jubilee and just sits down. Can you imagine everybody looking and going, we've never had a jubilee. How, what did he just do? What's happening here? How did this even begin to take place? Now, he announced jubilee in a couple different ways. In Matthew 11, we get a little bit different story of how jubilee was announced. In Matthew 11, he said it this way, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Sabbath. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus didn't say, come to me, all who are weary, take a rest. He didn't say, take one Sabbath. He, he didn't say, take, take, take time off. He said, you will find rest for your souls. I will give you rest. See, Jubilee is the never-ending Sabbath. It's the Sabbath that doesn't quit because it upends everything. It changes everything. Jesus was announcing Jubilee, true Sabbath through him, that through Jesus, all would be forgiven, that all would be made right, and that all could go home and start again. And then Matthew continued, and he showed us how Jesus continued to announce Jubilee. Check this out. At that time, so this is right after Jesus says this, come to me and find rest. He says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered them, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. And his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not law for them to do, but only for the priests. 
Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And kind of a strange story, kind of a weird story, but Jesus is saying this. He didn't come to abolish the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. He showed that he had dominion over it. The practice of the Sabbath only pointed to what was coming. So think about this. This is so cool. The people... David and his, and his men went into the temple. They were in the presence of God, and their hunger was satisfied. He talks about that these guys were walking through the field, and they needed something, and God provided in that moment. And Jesus said, no, this, the, the, the Sabbath is given to you as a gift. And he says, and I have the power to tell you that, that you are to find presence and goodness and grace through the Sabbath. To really find Sabbath find Jesus. Then he goes on and says this, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So think about this. He walked into church and there was a man, this figure that was sitting there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal this guy on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. Now listen to these words. And it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other one. See, what we see is that Jesus, after he declares jubilee, after he tells these people that they can come and find rest, in this miracle he proves, I have come to restore. He has come to restore all things. He has come to renew. He's come to set people free. In the words that we've been looking at before, he has come to say that all is forgiven that all are forgiven, that all is made right, that all can go home and can start again. So what do we find in these stories? What do we find in the weight of Jesus? We find the year of Jubilee. We find that through Jesus, what was promised on Jubilees takes place in the lives of those who choose to follow Jesus. Satisfaction, rest, restoration, all forgiven, all is made right, and all can go home and start again. Now, here's the question. I have no idea where you are in your story, but I do know that Jesus wants to give you the gift of true Sabbath rest that is found in him. In Jesus, we find a rest that brings the hope that we all long for. Now, here's where this gets super, super cool. In a few months, we begin the journey of Lent. Lent takes us to the celebration of Easter, right? And on that day, we gather to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. On the eighth day, at the start of a new week, 
we come together and remember the only one that can truly bring us rest. Seven in the ancient world was the number of perfection and completion. And eight was a symbol of eternity. It is a day of never-ending rest. And it's why we gather when we worship on Sunday. Because Jesus has come. Jesus declared jubilee. Jesus in his resurrection is restored, renewed, coming back to heal this world completely. So we come together and we celebrate these mini Easter's on Sunday. It is not like waiting for Easter. Every single Sunday is like a mini Easter celebrating that we are people of the eighth day. So Friday night, begin that Sabbath. Begin that rest. Enjoy God's goodness and his provision and his grace and mercy that we celebrate on that seventh day. But go to bed knowing that I wake up the next day and I celebrate the resurrection of Jesus once again because I know that he brings eternal rest, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is the one that announces jubilee and I get to be a part of that and we get to be a part of that. How cool is that? The eighth day celebration of the one who restores all things, that he is the one that brings hope. That through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are reminded that we are people of eternal rest. Before we close, we're going we're gonna to sing one song as we close, but I, I want to share something personal here. Uh, many of you know this, the last couple years have just been so just brutally hard. And um, many of you know that we lost our associate pastor from this church uh, during the pandemic. Um, and then we lost my dad. Uh, to cancer. But I have to tell you, those losses were obviously incredibly hard. And sometimes we would go into those moments thinking about them, and it was like, how do we continue on? Even as a church, there were moments that I would walk in this place, and I could see my dad standing at the doors, or I could imagine Suzanne walking up to the stage, and I thought, how do we continue on? And then I think back to their funerals. And for both of them, I was able to be a part of those funerals and share the messages. And I have to tell you that both of those funerals, I shared a message of hope. And I shared messages of hope because that's exactly what it is. Suzanne and my dad are in the Sabbath rest of Jesus. His eternal rest, forever worship in his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And someday, we get to be there. We get to be a part of that reality. And so we continue on and we celebrate and we are people of hope because of that. And we say, I want to be there with you. I, but here's the cool thing. This, this is so crazy to think about. We are people of the eighth day. They are at the eighth day. And they are looking back and saying to us, you're celebrating what we're experiencing. That is the celebration of hope. That is the celebration that comes through hope in Christ. That's what I want you to experience. The Sabbath rest that he wants to give you, but the ultimate fulfillment of that rest found in Jesus. So we're going to stand together and then we're going to pray. 
And we're going to sing out this song. And the band's going to come up. They're going to come right now. And this song is loud. This song is a song of praise and celebration. And it's a reminder that Jesus is the Lord of our Sabbath. Let's pray. God, we are just so thankful and just in awe of the reality that we participate in the incredible reality of of true Sabbath rest. God, we come to you in a place of worship today, in a place of celebration, and a reminder of what Jesus comes to do, to proclaim jubilee, that all of us, no matter who we are, are forgiven. That no matter all of us, no matter who we are, are restored and made new, that all of us can come home into the family of God. That that is the promise given. And God, we go and we live that out and we change this world through your love and your grace and your mercy, proclaiming the Sabbath and the jubilee through Jesus into this world. And it's your name that we pray. Amen.